guys. I'm Jake. I'm Caitlin. And this is that true crime couple. So this, the first episode, just warning, obviously, you have read the title, Richard Ramirez, if you don't know it, it's, it's, it's a heavy one, it's a lot, it's a lot to take on, child abuse, sexual assault, rape, kidnapping, it's um, the whole kit and caboodle, so just uh, keep that in mind, listening to it. Listener's discretion advised. Yeah, it's, uh, it's not a fun one. Mm. Yeah. Okay, so Richard Ramirez. He was the human version of a necrotic hemorrhoid. That's disgusting. <laughs> and not something that I want to picture, but alright. <laughs> well, picture it and then make it ten times worse and then that's him as a human being. Yeah, right. Yeah. So, yeah. February 29th, 1960, a piece of wet lettuce was born. Wet lettuce. Wet lettuce. What a... You know, like, the lettuce that, like, sits in the bottom of the sink and it's, like, really gross and soggy. You don't want to touch it? Yeah. That's him. So, he was born Ricardo Leva Munoz Ramirez. Um, sorry if I ruined that name, but I really don't care because... Got him. He's a piece of shit anyway. He was born 2.07am in El Paso, Texas. He was the youngest of five children. They were all born to uh, Mercedes. I'm not sure how to actually pronounce that. I'd say it's a lot more fancier than me just saying Mercedes. Mercedes-Benz. Mercedes. <laughs> <laughs> we're uncultured Australians, so. Um, uh, Mercedes, um, she was known as a very kind-hearted woman. And his dad, Julian, who was known to have a very big temper on him. He was belted by his grandfather and his father, and he grew up essentially just getting belted. Oh. Had a bit of a hard life. Um, yeah, right. He, apparently, he always used to say, like, he'd never treat his kids like that, but he did. Oh, yeah. Geez. So it just ran in the family. Yeah, yeah honestly. It, it, it didn't stop there. Um, and this went for Mercedes as well. Like, if they stuffed up or did something wrong, he'd beat the shit out of them. Um, Wait, what do you mean? It went for Mercedes as well? As yeah, like, he, beaten as well. if she did something wrong as well. Like, she wasn't out of the question. He'd, he'd get her as yeah, well. Yeah, right. Yeah. An uh, example that Ramirez always brought up was his brother Ruben. I don't know how old he was at the time, but he got caught in a stolen car and his father belted the living shit out of him. Oh. Um, yeah. And from around the age of 12 onwards, he'd actually go and sleep in graveyards just to purely get away from his dad's temper and the violence at home. Fair enough. I mean, it seems like a bit of an extreme to have to go and do that, but yeah, kind of don't blame him. Be nice and peaceful. That, that, it, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all the children that they had, they all had birth defects. They actually grew up with all. I think a lot of them grew out of it, but a lot of them did have birth defects, and it was ruled down to two reasonings. One was his parents were actually exposed to nuclear radiation, which I didn't actually realise until I did the like research into it. Yeah, right. Um, the US government at the time, they were conducting nuclear bomb tests um, close to where they lived, and around that time, Little was obviously publicised about the effects of being near the site. Of course it was. Yeah. The area that they lived in as well, they actually had a higher number of birth defects, so it wasn't actually just them, it was oh. like all around the area. Yeah, right. So, yeah, a little fun fact. 
So um, they all had birth defects because of the radiation. Yeah, I'd say the radiation fucked them up at some point. Yeah, right. Which, I mean, you could imagine. And the second reason um, was actually due their mother used to work at a boot factory. It's called Tony LeMay's Boot Factory. Um, and her job was essentially to mix chemicals and pigments together that were used on the shoes. And obviously being, what, 1960s, there was no, like, proportion, PPE. Yeah, shit yeah, like right. that. So she little... just inhaled all of the good stuff. Yeah, she was this is probably why she's going to work. <laughs> Got it. <laughs> Getting a break from Julian. Um, so yeah, so she was inhaling all of it um, while she was pregnant. And yeah. there was no kind of, you know, encouragement to wear, like, safety gear and stuff like that. So yeah. eventually, about five months into her pregnancy, she ended up leaving because that's when they warned her that there might be a risk to so her unborn child. kind of a little bit too late. Yeah. Some of the issues that they had were bone deformities, um, and it was what, the way their, their bones grew. It was, like, um, curved and, like, bent and stuff. I can't remember the exact word it was called. Um, it was like cholerous or something like that. Yeah, right. Yeah, and they had respiratory issues as yep. well. So this was for all the kids or just in general? Yeah, so all of them had them. All of the Richard Ramirez children. sisters. Yeah, they yeah, had right. some form of birth defect. defect but um, I'm not sure if she worked through the boot factory while she was pregnant with the others or had the others, but with Ramirez, obviously she was. Yeah. So... Also, just to top it off, so, you know, nuclear stuff and then her, his mother inhaling chemical fumes, mm. um, he had two different head injuries. Oh, from Ramirez. Yeah. Yeah. So, obviously being, especially being so young, just yeah. head injuries to begin with, but just big no. nose. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's not great. A lot of the um, killers that we'll cover and stuff, like a lot of them have had a massive head trauma growing up or something like that there's a few that actually don't have anything but majority of them yeah they've had a massive head injury at a younger age and he had two yeah so when he was two years old he had a dresser fall on top of him he was trying to climb up to get to a radio that apparently he loved this particular radio and he he climbed up and the dresser fell on his head oh yeah Apparently it knocked him unconscious for 15 minutes and he had a laceration on his forehead that required up to 30 stitches Jeez. Yeah, apparently. So, the, yeah. And his next one was when he was five and went to a park with his older sister. He was swinging. Oh, his older sister, Ruth, and his older brother. I think his name was Robert. He was excited to see, like, his sister and he ran over to her. Yeah. And um, she was swinging on the swing and couldn't stop herself. And she, yeah. like, rammed into him. Oh. And, like, cracked him. And he got obnoxious. Obnoxious. He, for God's sake. He got unconscious, knocked unconscious. Yeah. And he had, like, a massive gash on his head as well. Yeah, right. So, yeah, he's not he's not off to a good start. So that, you know, uh, fumes, the dad belting him. I'm just... surprised that the head injuries weren't caused by the dad, to be honest. Yeah. I was half expecting you to say that. Oh, he's, I mean, he probably got enough from his dad. He probably got enough wax. It went around when he was six years old. I did read he was around five, and I did see six as well. So yeah. take that with a grain of salt. He activate he actually developed it was um called temporal lobe epilepsy and he started to have grand mal seizures and would continue to have these until his early early teens. Yeah right. Um and a lot of it was like they based it down to like the head injuries and stuff like that because when he was younger he obviously he didn't have them until kind of after the head injuries. And um I read a few things that it said that they actually stopped when he started smoking weed. Oh. Yeah. Right. So it has 
correlation with smoking weed that yeah. is stopped. Which, like, a lot of people have, like, you know, medical marijuana and stuff. Or just helps them. Yeah. I mean, we don't really have much medical marijuana here yet, do we? No, Surely. I'm not sure. Oh, it's, I feel like I think it's slowly being legalised, yeah. but it's not nearly to the state no. at which Some America country, has it. Yeah. I did read that people diagnosed with temporal lobe epilepsy often showcase altered sexuality, hyper-religious feelings, hypergraphic, and excessively aggressive, which explains a lot when he gets older. Yeah. It shows um, that they can have hallucinations and amnesia as well. Um, he ended up growing out of this and his other ailments. Well, so it didn't affect him when he was older? No. The temporal lobe? No. And stuff. He ended up growing out of it. Yeah, right. So yeah. it was just when he was younger yeah. that it affected him. Kind of had all the issues growing up. So you can't really say it contributes to him being... Uh, I don't know. Maybe or... when he was younger, it may have. Yeah, right. Um, but, I mean, people have that sort of stuff anyway growing up and they don't turn out to be suck of shit, so... Got him. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, he was known to be actually a relatively healthy but aggressive and hyper child. Right. Like, once he kind of grew. Yeah, yeah due to his um, injuries. He did have ADHD as well. Not that that means anything. Once again, a lot of people have that and don't turn out to be psychotic killers. So, yeah. Fair point. At the age of um, seven, he um, usually spoke about having very vivid vivid dreams about monsters and seeing them run around the garden, which frightened the living shit out of him. As it would. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'd probably be pretty, pretty scared as well, to be honest. Yeah. And it... Um, and a later said it was may have been part of him having his seizures as well. Right. So I do feel sorry for kid him. It's just older him. But, but that's it. That's Yeah, that's it. He was only 10 years old when he began to sniff glue, smoke pot, and drink alcohol. Yeah. As you do at 10 years old. So it's a bit um, young, but all right. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe around 11 would have been better. Yeah. Around 12 to 13, Richard's cousin, my gal, who was a former Green Beret that served in Vietnam, came back from his services overseas. So how long how old was he here? He was around 12 to 13 years. Richard was, but yep. how old is Miguel? Oh, I'm not sure how old he <laughs> was. Um, but he was a real piece of shit. Yeah, right. He was... He, I think he had a lot of issues. I can't imagine serving, you know, in that. And, the, I mean, he was a piece of shit anyway, but... He often spoke to Ramirez about the really horrible stories and all the shit that he used to get up to, like, over there. And Richard, being young, mm. you know, saw him as his hero. Uh, and, like, you know, he was the best thing out there. Influential age. Yeah, yeah. And he thought, you know, he was cool and all that. And my girl, he showed him Polaroids of graphic photos of him killing, raping, and mutilating Vietnamese women um, when he was overseas. Lovely. It's yep. just what you want to see at that age. Yep. And going through the very detailed Polaroids, the last photo that he saw was actually a severed head, which my girl was sexually abusing. Oh. Yeah. And, you know, 12 to 13 years. Refusing, like, sex and violence together. Jesus. Like, you know, you want I it, just, you take it. don't think a normal person would show that to a 12-year-old kid, but all right. Just... So, if, what, he has his dad being abusive and yeah. then his cousin... Cousin so far, got Being some great, great role models. I don't know what Mercedes was doing at the time, but I, I'm assuming she couldn't really do much anyway with Julian. Yeah. Yeah, so he was he was off to a start. He, my girl actually taught him how to shoot a gun, sneak around, maneuver a knife, 
and essentially kill another human being like oh. effectively so that's you know what he grew up starting to do as well like that was him's essential like mo like break in sneak around but besides that he never had like a strict race or yeah like it was asians latinos you know elderly young yeah child whatever just whatever goes whatever he walked into he like he wasn't fussy yeah right which is actually terrifying because a lot of people have like a very strict thing so the only thing that he kind of stuck to was the fact that he broke into houses at night time yeah that's it yeah May 4th, 1973, Ramirez was at Miguel's house smoking pot, playing miniature ball. You know, they were hanging out. And he went and got himself a drink and he found a gun in Miguel's fridge. Yeah. And, you know, being a kid, he was like, oh, what the hell's a gun doing in here? And Miguel was like, oh, I might need it later. And then that was kind of the end of that. And then later that night, Miguel's wife came home from grocery shopping and started complaining that he didn't have a job, which was often a argument that they both had yeah all the time and he just kind of got up walked over to the fridge pulled the gun out and just shot her point blank oh. right in the face what the fuck yeah jesus he, he, yeah he just told right Ramirez. In front of Ramirez. yeah yeah oh. he was just standing there i think he was shocked he kind of like stood up and was like what the would fuck be. yeah um and he told ramirez to leave and essentially don't tell anybody which he didn't oh he left and didn't say a word he did become apparently a lot more withdrawn and started stealing and getting high a lot more. Right. Um, but that was all that was kind of... I mean, it still affected him, though. Yeah, but yeah. not in a yeah. noticeable, well, not as noticeable way, yeah. but still. Yeah. Seeing someone get shot point blank. And yeah. what's your aunt? No, it wouldn't be your auntie. The wolf cousin wife. Or something. Yeah. His wife, cousin. So, yeah, I don't even know. Yeah. Um, but well, family member nonetheless. Yeah. But once again, you know, violence, like abuse. He was, he, he was getting away with shit. Yeah. He was actually found not guilty of Jesse's murder by reason of insanity and released only after four years in 1977. Oh. Yeah. So my girl just went free after four years. Four years for shooting his wife, then. blank in the face. Jesus. Um. Christ. Yeah. The justice system was really very flawed back then, wasn't it? Oh, flawed now. Oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, but he was in the state, uh, Texas State Mental Hospital. Um, and it was Ramirez's essentially first, like, very close encounter with death. He later said, like, it was the strangest thing. I knew her. She was dead, murdered, gone. So it's, you know, once again, brought it up again. Like, sex, violence, like, he's getting Still away with things. He's together. learning, like, you know, his cousin shot her straight in the face in, what, four years? That was, like, slap on the wrist. Yeah. So, it's, um, you know, it's, it's tracking well, clearly. It's adding up to create yeah. the Richard Ramirez that we will soon hear about. The little stanky. Um, in the following years, he'd often learn these quote-unquote new skills and break into people's houses and walk around picking locks, opening windows. Um, he'd stalk and hunt birds, rabbits, other wildlife, you know, yeah, right. putting the skills to use. Not in a good way, but yeah, <laughs> not in the not in the healthy way. No, I mean I don't know what healthy way you would use really that stuff use for. Yeah, yeah, true. Shortly after the shooting of Jesse, he moved in with his sister Ruth and her husband Roberto, who was another piece of work in Ramirez's life. Oh, lovely! So yeah, just all positive role models. Yeah, so and 
I don't, I don't know. I'm assuming he just kind of left home at this point. Like, he just didn't want to be home. Fair enough. But Roberto was definitely someone you wanted to be around. He was a obsessive peeping Tom. Oh. So. Just to add to the mix. Big safety net right there. And he would take him along to peep on women. Oh, <coughs> lovely. And what age was he at this stage? Um, I think he was around like 13, 14 at this oh, stage. okay. Yeah. But when um, my girl got released from the mental institution, my girl would actually often join them. Oh, just so tag along. The three just amigos. The, the three amigos. <laughs> <laughs> the three amigos the three out on her. Tom amigos. <laughs> that's, that's terrible. Yeah. Not what you want to see when you're looking out your window. Imagine that. You just look out the window and just see three, three of them. Three people just staring in your window oh. as you're getting dressed. No, you'd, you'd pass away. Um, when he was around 14, he started to use LSD, and it was usually with my girl, my girl as well. Course. Yeah. In 1977, he was actually arrested in El Paso for possessing weed um, and for a misdemeanor theft charge. He was arrested again in 1978 and 1981 um, for auto theft and again for the same reason. So in, what's that, like the space of what? 19, uh, so what, 1977 all the way to 1984. Yeah, right. It was, what, three or four times? I think yeah. there was a time when he was younger that he got a big slap on the wrist too. But He's working up criminal history yeah, as well. he's already starting really well. So just adding it all to the repertoire. Yeah. Uh, when he got to his mid-teens, he was starting to have violent sexual fantasies. Not surprising in the slightest. Yeah. So blending together the two, essentially, it, he often fantasised about bondage, murder, mutilation, and rape. Great. Standard childhood you know uh, I, fantasies definitely <laughs> this is what i definitely dreamed about <laughs> when i was younger around the same time mike got out of prison ramirez got a job at a holiday inn where he liked to put his new skills to a test uh, you know he didn't put it towards you know being a good active member of society no of course he, he um would break into guests room rob them molest underage guests you know my girl Ramirez, oh, Ramirez at the, the Holiday Inn. So this was around the time that my girl got out of the state institution. Right. He got the job there and he started doing all of this shit to the right. hotel guests. Yeah. And one time he broke into a woman's room and she'd just gotten out of the shower and he tried to rape her. He like attacked her and tried to rape her. But his hus- her husband had just left the room for like a split second. I think he went to grab like, I don't know, you know, crap, Something. whatever you need. Yeah. And then he came back and he found him oh. and he like belted the shit out of him good like to a pulp good yeah he was like unconscious like it was really bad which is amazing so we should as Um, yeah how old was he at this stage so i think he was around 14 jesus yeah well he just felt confident enough to just yeah well he's you know he's been taught he's been going around with his older cousins like what he's been you know learning yeah but the, the charges never went ahead for those because the couple actually lived out of state and they didn't want to come back to obviously press the charges. It was too much for them. So they just, they just left, left it. it. Yeah. He just got, got away, away with, with it. it. Oh, well, Again. I mean, he got shit beaten out of him, but... Yeah, but I mean, and he would have been fired, but other than that, like... He just got away with it. He just got it. away with it. He ended up dropping out of um, a Jefferson High School in the ninth grade and around the age of 22, he moved to California. Right. Yeah. Around this time, he started using cocaine, 
to afford this because obviously it's expensive. expensive yeah. He, you know, commits theft and burglary often traveling between San Francisco and Los Angeles. Right. So he'd often sleep in like cars and like on the street and stuff like that to like get through. So he got used to slumming it. Yeah. Yeah. He liked dark movies such as The Nightmare on Elm Street, Friday the 13th, The Exorcist and Dracula. And his favourite being Chainsaw Massacre. He found them to be great inspiration and a big turn on for him. Oh, just lovely. Yeah. That's just what you want to hear. Mm. Well, it's Chainsaw Massacre. So. Does that not excite you? Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> Apparently it should at 22. <laughs> not that I'm 22, but. So, essentially, getting into his murders, his first known murder was on June 28th in 1984 where he raped and stabbed a a 79-year-old widow, Jenny Vincrow. She was found in her Los Angeles apartment. Um, Her throat was slashed so badly that she was nearly decapitated. So apparently there was a stab wound on either side of the neck, and then there was a massive slash in between, and it was was like right, like slashed right back. Jesus. So he just fucking went straight in as bad as possible. just went nuts, yeah. She'd been sexually assaulted, um, and she was yeah stabbed repeatedly in the neck and chest while she was asleep in her bed. She did have defensive wounds on her hands as well, obviously showing that she she, well, she, she would have woken up and yeah. you know thrown her hands up, which that always kills me. One of the detectives noticed that there was a stab wound on her left inner thigh as well. Once he was done, he helped himself to a few glasses of water, washed his hands, and then left. Just like that, you just wash your hands. Like you, yeah. you, you're just done with it. You you're wash done. your hands and you just leave. Thirsty work. Murdering and raping someone. Yeah, they had found six fingerprints all up. Four of them were unusable, and the, there was t- the the two left were like usable, but they kind of weren't in the best condition. Um, he always wore gloves, but he had um, trouble getting the screen off at this time, so he took a glove off. But unfortunately, uh, being back then, fingerprints weren't. Yeah. It would have taken years and years and years for them to actually manually compare the partial prints with the millions that were oh, on file. Imagine that job, manually comparing yeah. fingerprints. So they needed to have some sort of suspect first to be able to do it, otherwise it, it, it's just... Well, did he have his? Did they have his records at this stage? I mean, he had a criminal no, history. No, because he got away with everything. I thought he had a criminal history for... No. Oh, he and got like, and stuff like there that. was that, but I, they mustn't have had like finger, or if they did have the fingerprints, they wouldn't Just have assumed that he was a, like a um, suspect. suspect at the time. Just wouldn't have looked. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Her son Jack was actually the one that found her about eight to ten hours after her, her slaying. Oh. Yeah. She's just been sitting there for eight to ten hours. Yeah. He um, entered her unlocked apartment and he said that he looked at the living room and everything was thrown around on the oh, floor, no. which is pretty standard apparently. Like he just ransacked the place every time. Yeah, right. He said he called out her name several times and got no response. When I saw that she was dead, I shouted out to the manager, my mother's been murdered. I cannot imagine the feeling yeah. of walking in on it. Oh, well, you'd just know too, I feel. I feel like you'd walk in and you'd be like, something's like not right. And then yeah, you'd see everything thrown around. I mean, I feel like yes and no. Like, I wouldn't instantly jump to the conclusion of being dead. I don't know. I feel like you'd feel something, though. He often visited her every day around the same time just to check in on her. Um, something that they liked to do, like, she loved chicken nuggets, so he brought some for her to surprise her with. Um, and she liked to take car rides with the aircon, and he just have his had his um car air conditioner fixed, so they were gonna take a drive oh, after she finished her nuggets. Two best things that she loves. Yeah, 
So fucking shooting in the face. After after that, he kept using cocaine intravenously. And once again, to afford this, he was robbing two to three times a day. Always wearing gloves. Just, just normal. Just, just standard. That was everyday life to him. Yeah, he always wore black. Sleeping, eating, and washing wasn't a big issue to him. So he fucking stunk. Yuck. Everyone said like that it was always his teeth were disgusting, and he had like this horrid smell about him. Yeah. They referred it to wet leather or like a tawny wet leather. Ew. Yeah. So heliotosis. Yeah. Just. That Shocking. Be... Yeah, and his his food it all it all was like sugary cereals, lollies, um, soft drinks. So probably contributing to. The oh smell yeah, as well. God, and he's not you know taking just care of himself. Out of your pores. Yeah. This was also described by witnesses in court as well. Like, it was just one thing that they were like, he's Paul done. Stood out. Yeah. Stanky ass. Yeah. Um, he spent most of his days listening to music, which was mainly ACDC, and they got a bad rap. Or oh, essentially, yeah, because yeah. of all the lyrics and shit. Yeah, I know. And every, yeah, no, I know. It's fucking stupid. Like, well, all the other bloody rappers and musics like that's got like Exist, you know, and yeah, and what, just they were like demonized because he, you know Ramirez fucking went off it, and he'd also fantasize about extreme sexual violence these days, as you do. Just a good relaxful day. He was certain that Satan and demons were watching over him and that he would never get caught. Oh, that's it. It's just yeah. Satan and the demon would yeah. look after his back, watch yeah. his back. While with cocaine, he it often made him quite paranoid and right. skittish. So he knew with what he was doing, he couldn't really afford any mistakes. So he actually ended up swearing off coke and instead used pot and drank occasionally. Right. Because he knew that essentially if he got caught, it would be a death penalty. Yeah. So... You know, being very careful, can't be caught in yeah. that situation. And in February and March 1985, there were multiple child abductions in Montebello, Monterey Park, and Glassell Park. All right. They were all sexually assaulted and then essentially just abandoned. Yeah. At least they weren't killed, but I mean, you know. One of them was Anastasia Hornas. Sorry if I'm pronouncing that wrong. Right. She was a big part of helping them catch her, like catch him. Sorry. So right. she actually picked him out of a lineup and oh. they got they when they lined everyone up, they got them to, you know, say like bitch and um shut the fuck up and shit just things that he'd always say. And then when she she asked one of the detectives and he was like, you know, she was like, Oh, but like what do I write? Do I write the number two or do I write the word two? Oh, so she knew like, Yeah, like she was and she was six. Yeah, right. Yeah. She was little Bobby. So when was this? This was So this was in around nineteen eighty five. Right. She was a big part of helping catch him. Um her recollection was that essentially she remembered her window being open and she was woken up and being ushered out. She she mentioned that Ramirez was actually a really like familiar and she went with him because she he reminded her of a family member, so you know, she was half asleep, she was a kid, yeah. she just assumed, you know, someone that she knew. Weird, but you yeah. know, fan member. When he got her to the car, he opened like the glove compartment and showed her that he had a gun in there and he was essentially like, you know, just so you know, like that's that's there. And he he drove her to his home and while driving he kept making her like look at him and touch him. Oh. 
She said she didn't know how long she was in the car for, but remembered being in an area where there was lots of dogs barking and a lot of fencing around. Yeah. He put her in a duffel bag, zipped it up, and he carried her inside. Oh, what the fuck? Yeah, so well, no one could see. Jesus. Yeah, um, she said the house was kind of dark, dingy, gross, windows yeah. were covered up. I'm sure you can imagine what it did fucking look like. Smell like absolute crap, too, yeah, probably. probably. He sexually assaulted her, and she she said that like one of the things she kept doing, she kind of figured out that he'd stop if she kept saying she needed to go to the bathroom. So she kept being like, I need to go to the bathroom, and he'd pop her up on the sink, and she wouldn't go. And she'd like kept keep doing oh, that for a while, yeah. Um, and then he eventually realised that she was just saying it just because. But once once it stopped, um, he drove her to a gas station and told her to get inside and call the police so her family can come and get her. Yeah. So at least he let her go. He let her go, but we six just know years she's old. traumatized for the rest of her life. Yeah, I couldn't imagine. Nine months later, after Vinny, uh, Jenny Bing Crow, um, so this was March seventeenth, nineteen eighty-five, he'd purchased a twenty-two caliber revolver, stole a car from a gas station while the owner was paying, and started driving down the freeway. Yeah. Yep. Listening to um, Highway to Hell repeatedly, wearing his ACDC hat. Yep. Wearing all black. As like he does, he does. his gloves, everything. Smelling like crap. Yep. Like he always does. Stanking up the fucking place. And while he was... You wouldn't want the car back after that. No, honestly. Like you'd see him in it and you'd be like, you know what, just, just keep it. Just keep it at this point, little stanky ass. While he was driving on the freeway, he spotted 22-year-old Maria Hernandez. And she was driving home to her home. In, it's called Rosemead, which is a really cute name. Yep. She pulled into her garage... Of the condo she shared with thirty-five, a thirty-four-year-old Dale Okazaki, who was fourteen days away from her thirty-fifth birthday. Oh. Dale had just come back from visiting her mum and her dad, and she'd gotten uh, a recent promotion to traffic supervisor with the Los Angeles County. She was one of three children from a loving, close, supportive family, and she was an avid skier. So she was great. She took so many classes, um, cake decorating, flower arranging, self-defense, computer programming, and it was said that she was very highly motivated, who loved life. She sounds like a great person. Yeah. And she um, apparently worked very hard to buy this place that she shared with Hernandez as well. Sounds like she's a hard worker. Yeah. As Maria entered the garage, she pressed, like she got out of the car, and pressed the um the close button near the door, right. and she heard she she later said it was like an intentional sound, mm. which ended up being Stanky Head slamming his hands down on the bonnet of the car. Right. Yeah, so he'd walked in behind her. Yeah, he he'd like knelt down uh, underneath the um garage. Garage walked in behind her as she was getting out of the car. Yeah, and slammed his hand down. Yep. Yep. She turned um, around. Yeah, she shit herself. Turned around. And when she saw him, she raised her hands because he was pointing his gun at her. Ah. As soon as she saw him, he shot. Yep. But she was holding her keys in the palm of her hand, and when he shot, the, the bullet actually ricocheted off the keys. Oh. So the amount of luck that she had. She still dropped from the force of the shot, um, yeah. but she essentially played dead. Right. Pretending that, you Smart. know. Yeah. And he didn't think anything of it because he's a fucking idiot. And of he pushed past her, essentially just moving her body, yeah. walked inside, and she didn't get up until she heard the back door close. When she heard it close, she went around, like she went outside 
and kind of the way their house is laid out, she like went out and the garages were out the back and she went running up the street essentially. Mm. But when she did, she heard a second gunshot. Uh, so she was worried about her roommate. So she ran, yeah, she ran back around to the mm. front of the house thinking that he was going to leave the same way he came in. Yeah. But he didn't. He went through the front door. Oh. Uh, yeah. So they ran into each they other. They ran into each other. Oh. Uh, he was just as shocked to see her as what she was to see him. She was dead. Yeah, he was probably like, what the fuck? Yeah. Um, and I think he raised his gun at her and she kind of put her hands up and was like, oh, you've already like shot me once. You don't like, don't shoot me again. Please don't shoot me. Yeah. And he just lowered his gun and ended up walking off. Like, no, oh. didn't run off, didn't like just scurry, just lowered his gun, turned around, just walked off. Him. No. Unfortunately, her roommate, Dale Okazaki, wasn't so lucky. Uh, when she heard the first gunshot, she ducked behind um, her kitchen counter. Hmm. But she had her hands like propped up on the counter, you know. Like she was like, holding like, the, yeah. top of the counter. She was oh. holding on. And after a little while, she she raised her head to peek over the counter, but Ramirez knew she was there. So he was literally aiming, waiting Where? for her oh. to pull her head up, and as soon as she did, she he shot her right in the forehead. Oh. Yeah. Dead straight away, I mean oh. at least. At least, but still. <laughs> Didn't have to go through anything else horrific. So she just walked into the house, shot yep. the first one, yep. walked in further. And Someone completely one. random too. Like he just saw her, her Hernandez on the highway and followed her home. Like he didn't know what he was walking into. Didn't it was promise. daylight. Like nothing. Nothing. He just, just followed he was her, like, home. Yep, her He left his, he ended up leaving his ACD hat inside the garage. When he bent down to walk in, uh, like it actually fell, fell off. off his head. Uh, yeah. So you just know he was fucking sulking about that. Good. <laughs> After leaving Okazaki's residence, he was cruising down the San Bernardo freed, uh, Bernardino sorry, freeway where he spotted Veronica Yu. So essentially another one that he just just, just saw. Um, she was exiting just the freeway. Shortly after the Yeah, literally straight after. Yeah, yeah. She was exiting the freeway towards Monterey Park. She was a 30-year-old law student and she was coming back from visiting a childhood friend. Her name was June Wang. Her Mandarin name was Tsai Lian Yu. She was born in Taiwan and had immigrated with her friend, June, mm-hmm. um, seven years earlier. So right. they like, came over together. Yeah. She'd noticed that a Toyota was trailing her, so she pulled off to the side. And he passed her thinking, oh, like, I'm assuming, oh, fuck it, I'll get somebody else kind mm. of thing. Like, he didn't think, he, like, think about it. And, but she ended up following him oh. instead. Yeah. Here you go, lady. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't. Me not personally, yeah. but... Yeah, yeah. Ballsy. Yeah. He ended up pulling over because he realised that she was starting to follow him. Mm. And she pulled over as well. And he, he got out of the car and approached her. He had his gun under his um, waistband, hidden by his leather jacket as well. So she, she wouldn't have seen anything. Yeah. And she ended up questioning, like demanding why he was following her. Yeah. And he just kept saying, like, I thought I knew you. Like, I thought you were familiar. I thought, like, you know, I knew you. And in the end, she stated that she'll call. She's going to call the police. Yeah, which he didn't like. Of course, he didn't. Yeah, he went towards her. He grabbed her shoulders through the window, but he was able unable to get her out of the car because the the car door was locked. Yeah, which is good. Lock your shit, people. Lock your doors. Lock your doors all the fucking time. He noticed though that the passenger side was unlocked and essentially like vaulted over the car. You know, uh, like the bonnet. Yeah. She wasn't quick enough, unfortunately, and he got uh, into she... the car. Yeah, right. Yeah. I could imagine panicked. 
probably like yeah, reach she over. Probably and wasn't lock expecting the it. This stanky ass is like jumping over the fucking car. You'd probably um, freeze in fright. Yeah, like and shit yourself. Yeah, you'd be like, "What the fuck is happening?" He pulled out his gun, and she was essentially asking, "Like, what do you want? What do you want?" And he shot her under her right arm. She opened the door to run, but he shot her again in the lower back. She managed to get out of the car, and she was screaming for help, but like in the process, she lost her shoe and then kind of waddled and fell to the ground. Yeah. Little did he know there was actually a witness. His name was um, George Gallegos, sitting in his uncle's white Ford pickup with his girlfriend, Edith Alcaz. And they were just down the street, and they saw this. Yeah, right. Yeah. George ran over to Veronica, where she... Uh, when he found her, her eyes were open and she was breathing, but she wasn't able to speak. The police officer, his name was Endo, tried to get a statement from Veronica, but she stopped breathing. And oh. the two cops, so it was Endo and another police officer, they administered CPR until a medical team came and took over. She was brought to the Garfield Hospital, but was pronounced dead. Oh. Yeah. Around a, le- a week later, 2 a.m., March 27th, 1985, so... No, Night again. No. Oh, God, no. He entered a house that he'd actually burglarized a year earlier, remembering how wealthy they kind of seemed and how mm. well off they seemed. It was a more upscale community, and the house itself was a one-story brick structure on one acre of land. Yeah. How nice does that sound? He walked past um, the window, one of the windows, and he saw um, 64-year-old Vincent Zazara. He was sleeping on a played couch in front of his TV, so he'd obviously... Drifting off in front of a TV, as you should be allowed to do. He was spoken about as a fun-loving, gregarious man who was retired and owned two pizza restaurants. You go, dude. Yeah. He walked around, spotting a second window, and saw 44-year-old Maxine asleep Jesus, in bed. really just not, like, afraid at all. Yeah. At this stage. Just, just cruising. Second nature. Yeah. You're just cruising around the house. Yep. And the sight of Maxine excited him, because woman. Yeah. You know. That's all it takes. Um, yeah. He tried to get one of the screens off um, on the window, but was unsuccessful. So he, he ended up walking further around. And he found a smaller window, which was higher up on the building. So I'm assuming it was like a laundry or like a, a bathroom of some sort. You know how uh, they're kind of like higher up? Higher up, yeah. So little stankies like him can't see into, you know, your house. Yeah. A peeping Tom with yeah. his uncle Fucking or whatever it was. Ass. My gal. Yeah, he found that the window was higher up, so he went, he couldn't actually reach it, so he went and tried to find something to prop himself up. Mm. He ended up finding like a five gallon, it was like a plastic can container thing, and he propped it under the window and he was able to get up and remove the screen to the property. Right. So he climbed through it. Yeah, he got in. When he was in, he took his shoes off. That's, uh, I mean, kind of random, but yeah. Yeah, well, knowing. Now, like, I feel like it's something you probably should have continued to do, but once again, I'm glad he didn't. Oh, okay. Yeah. He took his shoes off and he walked towards Vincent, who was the one sleeping on the couch. Yep. Pulling out his twenty-two, he aimed carefully and shot Vincent in the left side of his head, just above his ear. Jesus. He woke up, he was shocked, um, and tried to stand and grab Ramirez. After being shot? Shot in the head, yeah. Jesus. But the bullet um, had hit his um, corroded artery in his head and he lost motor movement. Oh. Yeah. As he was dying, it was apparently blood shot out and hit a wall that was like three feet away. Jesus. So you could imagine like... How impactful that was. Yeah. Bullet. The sound of the gunshot woke Maxine, mm. 
So she was wide-eyed as Ramira, he, like, bolted into the room because he, he would have known that the That's gunshot would have, yeah. 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 Pointing the gun at her, he, like, slapped her and he was screaming at her to tell her to shut up and, bitch, don't look at me. He, was, he had this thing about people looking at him oh, and man. seeing him. He's pretty ugly. <laughs> he, sounds, he looks like a, what, walking necrotic... Hemorrhoid. Hemorrhoid. He'd be pretty Little gross st- to look stanky at. necrotic hemorrhoid. Yuck. <laughs> Got him. Stank ass. Now this woman was just, she was badass bitch. Oh, like, she? she's, you go, lady. Yeah, she was fucking awesome. He kept asking her, like, you know, where's the money? Where's the jewelry? Blah blah blah. And she just kept demanding that he left. He didn't. He, he unfortunately he belted her. Later on her stomach and tied her hands together with a necktie. He gagged her, disabled the phones in the house, and essentially began ransacking the room as he normally does, mm. throwing everything around. But she's just tied up on the She's bed. tied up on the ground. On the she's ground. on the ground. Yeah. yeah. But she was actually able to get her hand ties undone, uh, knowing there was a shotgun under the bed. Oh. Yeah. She grabbed the gun. So, yeah. Yeah. Turned around. He froze and shit himself when he turned to see her standing there pointing I mean, the gun. He went to grab his, but she pulled the trigger. Oh. Nothing fucking happened. You're kidding. Yeah. So Vincent, yeah. he, he took the bullets out weeks before a visit from their grandchildren. Oh. And they didn't refill it. No. Yeah. So, you know, they were doing the right thing. Yeah. Little grandbabies but... coming over. I, it would have been done. Would have been done with. It could have just all happened. It all ended just there. Yeah, this absolutely enraged him. He raised his gun and shot her three times and belted her mercilessly oh, while she no. bled out. Yeah, oh, no. he went and fetched a large eleven-inch carving knife from their kitchen, oh. and he tried to carve her heart out, but was a- unable to get past her rib cage because he's a fucking moron. Jeez. Instead, he left a, like, they kept saying an inverted cross on her chest. He cut away her eyelids and gouged out her eyes and placed them in a small jewelry box. Oh, no. Yeah. The stab wounds continued. One to the the neck, one to the stomach, and multiple around the pubic area. Yeah, he did right. try to rape her, but was unable to get a, an erection. So I'd Jesus. say because he was just... He'd almost fucking died. Yeah, he yeah. just almost got shot in the head. Shame. Legit. He put his shoes back on, grabbed the valuables that he could, and he fled to back where he was staying, which was the Cecil Hotel, or Cecil Hotel. Oh, that, like, messed up hotel. Yeah, yeah. Oh, so yeah. he stayed, a lot of people stayed there, like a yeah, lot of right. fucked up. Of course he stayed there. Yeah. Gee, you think they'd decommission a place like that? Yeah, well, you'd think so. One of Vincent's workers, because he owned the pizzerias, thirty-year-old, a thirty-one-year-old Bruno dropped the money that was made from the pizzeria that night. He did notice that something like seemed strange, and he didn't get an answer. But he kind of just left it at that and left the money in the um, mail slot. Hmm. The following morning, he returned with another worker, Persico, I think his name was, because they felt like something wasn't right. Hmm. They entered and found him. Vincent on the couch, and they called their son, Vincent and Maxine's son, Peter, telling him what they'd seen, and Peter called the cops. Oh. Yeah. He, um... You wouldn't just call the cops yourself? Though. I don't know. I don't know why that happened. I don't know if maybe they were on the phone 
and they just call Peter. I'm assuming it'd probably be a really close run family pizzeria uh, too, and they probably just called Peter and was like, oh straight my God. away, just tell him. Yeah. He, Ramirez actually kept that jewelry box for himself and would open it and look at the eyes and just laugh to himself oh, constantly. Which, I don't know, I feel like he didn't, the only things that he ever really took were the shit that he was selling. Yeah, so right. that was like the one thing, like, quote unquote, trophy. Yeah, yeah, and right. I don't know if it's because, like, she almost killed him, so he was like, fuck you, like a bit of a fuck you oh, kind yeah. of thing, because he didn't do that, or at least that I found he didn't do that with anyone else. Yeah, right. So I have a feeling it was a little bit of a fuck you. To keep them. Yeah. Look at them every like, now and then. Douchebag. Yeah, literally. He did leave a footprint of his avia or avia sneakers in the flower beds, which police were able to get a photograph of and cast. And this was a big thing for them back. Um, nice. Them Because the rarity of his sneakers. These sneakers only had 1,354 pairs being made and sold in Los Angeles. Oh, wow. Yeah, so, so it, was, it was massive. Yeah, it was really yeah, good. Right. That's why I mentioned, like, it's good that he, like, started fucking up with his shoes. Jeez. They also found, obviously, the bullet casings at the scene. So, May 14th, 1985, he returned to Monterey Park and broke into 66-year-old Bill Doy and his disabled wife, 56-year-old Lillian Doy. Bill was born in uh, Salinas, California, but because of his Japanese heritage, he was placed in an Arizona relocation camp. Yeah. He joined the Army's uh, 44th Regimental Combat Team and fought with distinction. Good on him. Yeah. After his services, he attended Northwestern University and worked as a shipping clerk to help support his wife Lillian and his daughter Linda. And he liked to he liked to play golf a lot, and he was an avid Lakers fan. Good on him. Yeah. You know, living his life. Doing his own thing. Doing yeah. his thing. Yeah. They had one grandchild who they cherished and loved. They always took her to the beach and carnivals and Japanese festivals and stuff like that. You just know that they spoiled the absolute crap yeah. out of her. Just can't imagine. He recently retired from his job as a international sales manager and they'd recently purchased a van to go travel in. In 1982, in spring, he had a heart attack. So I think, like, his health was steadily improving. Oh, okay. So yeah. they, I think they, just, like, you know, started to do things for themselves and yeah. was retiring. Whereas Lillian actually had a really bad stroke about two years earlier. So it was really difficult for her to talk and get around. Um, she had to use a wheelchair. Right. Yeah. Hence the disability part. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It was said, so Ramirez actually sold his twenty two caliber around this time, knowing that it was hot. And oh, kind of, you know, the casings around, yeah. yeah. So he brought a twenty two automatic right. revolver instead, instead and used yeah. that instead. So he walked around the house. He found a screen window that he slid open and slid inside like a fucking snake. He found them. They slept in. Slither a little snake. He found them in separate bedrooms, seeing the wheel, uh, the wheelchair of Lillian. He, you know, knew she was disabled, so he left and went to the next room seeing Bill. He raised his gun, and as he chambered it, the sound woke Bill straight away. Oh, wow. Yeah. Bill Roach, uh, reached for his 9mm he kept on his nightstand. So oh. apparently Bill was, like, really, like, safety-prone, and he yep. had guns all around the house for oh, this nice. sort of thing. Yeah. Ramirez, seeing this, he um, ran into the room and shot Bill. He shot him just above his bottom lip. And it went right through his tongue and lodged in the back of his throat. Jesus. Yeah. 
Bill like being shot, he half fell from his bed, um, and he was like choking on the bullet and the blood. Yeah. yeah. The the bullet that he'd taken caused severe damage to his tongue, voice box, and brain. He, um, yeah, he couldn't pick up his gun or pull the trigger like motor uh, movement and yeah. shit like that. Ramirez tried shooting him again, but his gun jammed. Nice. So just nothing's going right. Sort of fucking useless idiot. Good. Um. Yeah. Literally, and he went back into the hallway, fixed his gun, and came back to beat Bill. Like he just belted oh. him like relentlessly. His wife Lillian had woken up at this stage by the sound of the gun and could hear her husband moaning and like yeah. fumbling and stuff yeah. like that. But she wasn't able to do anything because oh. you know she was stuck. She couldn't do horrible. anything. She couldn't move. All she could do is hear her husband. Oh, no. Ramirez beat Bill until he became unconscious. Yeah. Yeah. He took Bill's gun and he went into Lillian's room, slapped her and warned her not to scream and she and she couldn't anyway. The poor love. He secured her hands with something, they're called thumb cuffs, essentially like handcuffs like you normally would except tiny for your thumbs. Yeah, right. Yeah. So I think this was used a lot back in like um, like wartime and like Uh, the police officers used to use them a lot. Of course he has a pair. Yeah, he's he yeah he tied her up with the thumb cuffs and proceeded to ransack the the house as he oh, normally does as usual he heard bill moaning again and went back to the room and knocked him unconscious he went back to lillian's room and raped her oh, um geez. yeah now i did read that bill woke up and heard him raping her and he was he was able to actually pull himself to the their phone and he called 911 oh. Yeah. But I also, yeah, so I read that he woke up and heard that and then called, or he woke up after Ramirez left and then called. Right. So I, I wasn't sure. I saw those both, like, a quite a few yeah. times. So, but otherwise, in the end, he, he was actually able to call 911. Yeah. And he, he ended up dying. That oh. was the last thing he did, but um, oh. he, saved, he saved her. Once Ramirez was finished, he kissed her, put the belongings he was taking in a pillowcase, left the thumb cuffs on her for some reason, um, he, and then he, before he left, he disabled one of the two phones right. as well. So I don't know if he thought there was just the one yeah. and disabled it, but obviously Bill got to the other one. Yeah. Yeah, Bill was later pronounced dead in the hospital, and oh, Lillian was questioned. What they were able to get from Lillian is that he had jagged, rotting teeth with a putrid smell. Oh, yeah. Just him, yeah, putrid. Yeah. Ramirez. The detectives were trying to say around this time that it was just one killer, yeah, which serial killers back then weren't that popular or as popular, or not, not so much popular, popular yeah. but like well, reoccurring, I guess. Yeah, but around this time, there was an eight year old child that was taken from her home, sexually assaulted, and then abandoned in a construction site. Which, mm. well, that sounds familiar. But that day they'd actually poured concrete and he had left an avia shoe print, which, yeah. Good. So, like, they kept seeing this print all over and they're like, oh, yeah. The print up to someone and a reoccurring person, nonetheless. Yeah, Yeah, right. He, at this time, he actually purchased a police radio as well that would help him listen to, like, obviously the police scans and shit like that. Oh. Yeah. Which I didn't even know that you could buy them. I mean, I to know you honest? could listen in on the channels, but yeah, yeah, I didn't actually, I didn't realize that. On the 29th of May, around 11:40 p.m., Mabel Bell. How cute is that name? Yeah, Mabel Bell. She was 83 years old, and her sister Florence, or 
Netty for short, Lang. 81 were asleep. Oh, yeah. They lived on living together. Yeah. Well, Mabel was apparently just the best. Yeah. They lived in North Alta Vista on the outskirts of Monrovia. Apparently, it was a bit of a not a pain in the ass to get there, but it was like a bit of a drive. Like Ramirez mm. went through it. Like yeah, right. yeah, just randomly. Yeah, she was so Maybell was widowed at an early age, and she brought up two children without assistance. She was a secretary for Vernon Tool Company for twenty three years and had twelve grandchildren. You go, lady. Yeah, she was very loved by the family, as you would be with twelve grandchildren. Yeah. So she was described as white-haired and frail, but apparently moved about like a woman 15 years her junior. You go so, right. yeah. She moved to California from Oklahoma 35 years earlier and contributed to the fund to keep the Statue of Liberty in good shape, which I thought was a cute little mm. thing. Yeah, so her sister, like, she moved in with her sister to help take care of her so she mm. didn't have to go to a nursing home. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. He parked his car, but he made sure the par- uh, the car was facing away so he could flee easily if anything happened. Yeah. Wearing his gloved gloves, he walked up to the door, the front door, tried it, and it was unlocked. Oh. Yeah. He entered the house and noticed that they weren't well off, really. Yeah. Um, which made him angry, because how dare anybody... You have dare you just walk into someone's house and... And not, not have the well things off. that he needs to sell. Oh, for God's sake. Yeah. He first came across Nettie, which I, I die every time her name, Nettie, mm. and quickly realised that she was disabled and elderly, mm. and then moved to find Maybelle's room, obviously being elderly as well, which this annoyed him apparently, because also how dare they not be younger Just women. into someone's house and not find the people that you want to find inside their house. Well, the audacity that they must have in their own house. For God's sake. He went to the kitchen for a knife, but he couldn't find one sharp enough apparently, but he did, however, find a red-handled hammer. Oh. Yeah, I don't know what's fucking worse. He went to Nettie's room first, and with no hesitation, he essentially buried the hammer into her skull repeatedly. Jesus. Yeah. He then used a piece of electrical cord he found from a clock nearby to tie her hands behind her back, but he tied them very tightly. Yeah. The clock dropped to the floor. Once again, this is just like, I don't know, this hurts my heart, but the, the clock dropped to the floor, and it made the time stop at like 12.06 a.m. And yeah, it's just, right. I don't know, those little, little thingies detail. get me. He made his way into um, Maybelle's room, not realising in the process that he'd stood on the clock when he pulled the electrical cord. Mm. He stood on the clock and he left a bloody shoe print. Oh, yeah, right. Fucking idiot. So, potential clue. Another avia footprint. Nice. He struck Maybelle in the head. She woke up screaming in a panic. And as he you sp- would. Yeah, as you freaking imagine being woken up like that. Yeah. He screamed at her to shut up or I'll kill you. Where's the money? You know, don't look at me, bitch. Where's the jewelry? All this usual bullshit. And she was just yelling at him that she had no money and to get out of her house. He struck her again, this time sending brain matter across the room. Oh. Yeah. Turning the light on, he found duct tape and used it to bind her ankles. He again ripped the cord from her clock and he, like, frayed the ends of them, plugged it back in and like used it to semi shock her. Jesus. Yeah. Yeah, she was semi unconscious at this point. Yeah. I mean, imagine her your head being caved in and, and he's yeah. just electrocuting her essentially. Because why not? He's an absolute monster. Jesus Christ. 
He then went. He then took whatever valuables he could find, um, which included a cassette player Maybell had gotten from her grandson David Nip for her eighty-third birthday. Oh. Yeah, on the sixth of April, it was the first one she ever owned. Oh, yeah. That sexually aroused by all of this, he returned to Nettie's room and raped her. Jesus. He then used um, Maybell's red lipstick and drew a pentagon on the back of her left thigh. And on the white wall above her head, he then went and drew a pentagram on Nettie's bedroom wall as well. He helped himself to a banana, drank a can of Mountain Dew and Coke, and urinated in the toilet, and then left with a bloodstained pillow with all their belongings in it. It's just... What a psycho. Yep. Just, what, have a banana yep. and a drink? Yep. Just an after-murder snack? Yeah. Like it's nothing? Well, it's hard work. Clearly, he worked up a sweat. And a thirst. And a thirst, and he was hungry. And an appetite. Fucking hell. Um, May 30th, he went out hunting again. He'd actually stopped at a Goodwill shop and purchased some books. He apparently lined them up behind his car seat mm. in case, like, cops ever shot at him. Like, it didn't stop the bullet. He saw this Random. in a TV show. Just thought he, to do that randomly. Fucking idiot. That night... At 3.57am, he walked to a beige house with a big bay window. There was, like, a lot of birds of paradise growing next to, like, the windows and, like, a big palm tree, which gave him a lot of, like, shade to hide in. Mm. So it was perfect for him. He went around the back door. Everything was locked. His eyes then locked on. He he found, like, a um, a puppy door, a dog door. Mm. Getting down on his knees, he reached up through the door and was able to unlock it. Standing up, he opened the door and entered the house, drawing his twenty-two automatic. Using a pen light, he he um like carried one of those little pen lights around the house. You know those right. like little ones. Yeah, you've got a little flashlight. On yeah, the end. yeah. He went straight to the bedroom of forty-two-year-old Carol Kyle. Went up to the bed and saw that she was sleeping. Hmm. He woke her up by shining the pen light in her face, saying the normal things: "Wake up, bitch! Don't scream! I'll kill you! Don't fucking look at me!" All that shit. And he asked if there was anyone else in the house, which she responded, my 11-year-old son. Pulling her up, he, like, ushered her to show him where he was. Carol, she was a registered nurse and said that she knew if she wanted to keep her and her son alive, it would depend on how she acted. But honestly, I think it's because he'd, like, killed Maybelle and Nettie at that time. Like, he, yeah. I feel like if he wanted to kill her, he just would have killed her. Like, right. I don't know. There was, he just had, like, moments. It was just weird. Because there was a few, like, women and children, like, he wouldn't kill them. But yeah. then others, like, he'd kill them. It seemed like if they had children, he wouldn't kill them. Mm. I don't know. It was weird. It was just random. Yeah. When they came to the door, he made her lie down and told her to stay on the floor or he'd kill her. Yeah. He opened the door to um, Mark's room and, like, ushered towards him and put the gun gun to his head. He Carol actually got up and ran over, getting between them, shielding Mark, begging him not to kill him. Apparently he was a bit shocked by that, so he, he threw her on the floor and he tied her and Mark together, putting them in a closet. He asked her if she owned any guns. <laughs> Obviously from, from yeah, Maxine, cause she's just, I love that she's haunting him in Good. that way though. Yeah. Like, fuck yeah. Making him scared. Yeah. She answered no, but he didn't believe them and took them back into her room and laid them down and covered them with a sheet. He began ransacking the house, as mm. usual. Ramirez came back and got Carol and cuffed both Mark's hands together behind his back and left him in the closet. 
He dragged her by her hair, asking where the jewellery was. She said that she would give him whatever she wanted, just don't hurt her or her children. He asked her how many children, and she mentioned that she had an older daughter. I think she was around 16 at this point. But she was at a friend's house for a sleepover and isn't coming back tomorrow morning until tomorrow morning. Glad she wasn't there at least. Yeah, yeah. Um, he made, well, he made the joke. Well, maybe I'll wait. Oh, yeah. Because, oh, he then laughed because he thought you know he was pretty fucking funny. Disgusting. She led him to her dresser where she had her jewelry box, and when she went to open it, <laughs> he he stole he stopped her because he was worried once again about Maxine. Good. Like her, yeah. He, fucking haunting him good he didn't trust like anybody at this point i mean you are just breaking into random yeah, people's houses well yeah took what was there and argued with her that she must have more because it was a nicer house and but she explained her husband had actually died six years earlier in a plane crash and yeah he left the house to her which like breaks my imagine going through that and then this and all this just, happens oh, yeah some people's luck i can't he took her clothes off forced her for, to perform oral sex on him Yuck. Yeah. And he started to rape her. She did state that she had her period and she did have a disease, but he simply told her to shut the fuck up or he'd kill her, so that didn't even stop him. Stop him. Yeah. Of course he didn't care about something like that. He, I yeah. assume she's just saying it to try and stop him. But... Yeah. He turned her over, sodomized her, finished, he searched the place some more. Still sexually frustrated, he sodomized her again because apparently once wasn't enough, and she, like, pleaded for him to stop, but unfortunately, like... He kept going. He didn't care. Yeah. He he liked that stuff. After he was done, he went to the kitchen, got something to drink, and returned to Carol. He actually told her that she wasn't bad for her age. Oh, that's yeah. just what you want to hear yeah. after being yeah. sexually assaulted. But she she played it well. She said she said thank you, and yeah. um, you know she she said that she knew she needed to be calm. Like yeah, know, kicking up wasn't going to help her in her situation. So she yeah. was, she's definitely a woman. That's what, that's she's brave. She said that she, he actually seemed to be confused as to where he was. He thought he was in a place called Glendale, but was actually in Burbank. I'm, I'm not sure how far away they are from each other. He went and got Mark for her, but she asked him not to let her see her naked. And surprisingly, he gave her a nightgown to cover herself with. I mean, yeah. one of his just random, like, good-ish moments. Yeah, like, thingy. And apparently she said to him, you must have had a, a bad life to be able to do this to people. Yeah. Yeah. At this time, Maybell and Nettie had not been discovered, so oh. they were still dead in the room. Uh, how long between the two at this stage? I think they were. Um, I think I've got it somewhere. It was like around fifty odd hours between that they were laying. Two. Oh, not between these two that Nettie and ba- um, Maybell were were found. It's like fifty oh. odd hours later, but so this was like after? the next day or the next right. night or something. There was actually speculation if Ramirez was the one that assaulted carol because the the composite sketch that they made up didn't necessarily match the one that maria hernandez did but apparently carol was like no like it's not right it's not right the one that they kept doing but i mean it sounds exactly like composite sketches aren't very good accurate yeah i mean i'm sure you can get bang on ones but i feel like there's some that you get that Probably Look no resemblance. Ridiculous. Yeah. So 78-year-old Carlos Valenzuela did handyman work in the Monrovia area and had known Maybell for 24 years. She, he'd often help take care of her yard and her pool. He, he went by the house the morning of the 30th and rung the bell, knocked 
no answer. He came back the following morning again and rang no bell, uh, rang the bell, no answer, returning the third time on 1st of June. Right. He noticed newspapers that were left out the front and wondered if maybe they'd gotten, like, sick and weren't able to, like, come and get it. Yeah. So he, he entered the home, calling out their names. So this was, oh, there we go, 58 hours later, he found Nettie lying on her bed, eyes wide open and blood caked thick around her oh, head. No. Yeah, he quickly drove to their neighbor's house and called 911. Yeah. The fire department arrived before the police at 11.58am, finding Mabel's, finding her first. Immediately started giving CPR and cut the tape binding her ankles. He noticed throbbing brain matter protruding on the left side of her head just above her ear. She was in like a comatose state. Right. So they, she was still alive. They were both still alive. Oh. Yeah. 58 hours. After that. Jesus. They stated that they'd never seen anything like this. They tried to get a response from Nettie, but were unable to. She was also comatose, and the only kind of reaction they got was when they stuck an IV needle into yeah. her arm. They called um, for an ambulance using their portable radio, and the sisters were rushed off to Arcadia Methodist Hospital and was examined by Dr. Michael Agron. They learned that uh, Maybell never locked her doors, so she liked to see the good in people, and by locking her doors, she was acknowledging the bad in human nature. Her grandchildren always implored her to lock the door, but they she never listened. Of course, the, the one yeah. most horrible type of person was the one that yeah. come and checked at her door. Yeah. Mabel died the day after arriving to the hospital, but Nettie lived. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah, right. And this is where we are leaving for part one. Part one? There'll yeah. be a two-parter. Two-parter. Yeah, nice. I mean, not nice. Yeah, but... it's a lot. God damn, he really just doesn't stop, does he? No. He just, like, keeps going. And at the end of it, like, you'll find out, like, how long it's been for, and it was not long. It just, one after the other, no like, break in between. Yeah, it was, like, what, days of that? Like, the first one, I think there was, like, nine months in between, mm. and then it was just days, weeks, yeah, right. maybe. Weeks if it was, you know, good. Yeah, right. But lock your shit. Seriously. Load your shotguns. Yeah. Reload your shotguns. Could have been all over then, too. That's so heartbroken. Yeah. I mean, at least he was able to call the police just before he passed away. That wasn't that one. Oh, wasn't it? No. That was Vincent. He passed away on the couch. Remember, he got shot in the head. Ah, I'm thinking of a different one. Yeah. Yeah. Got me. Got ya. But still, load your shotguns, lock your shit. Yeah. Doors, windows, fucking everything. Don't, don't look for the good in people. No. Just lock your doors. Don't trust anybody. Yeah. Trust no one. Trust no one. Trust no one, lock your shit. Well, thanks for tuning in, everyone. And um, if you just want to stay updated with everything that goes on, feel free to check out Instagram and Twitter. Um, our Instagram is that true crime couple, and our Twitter is that crime couple. We uh, try to post some stuff there, just some updates on our episodes and stuff. And upcoming cases. And upcoming stuff like cases, that. yeah. We'll post some, some images and stuff from the cases we do do as well and yep. some of the links and stuff we get our information from maybe. Yeah, we'll pop it all in the show notes. As well. But we'll see you in the next episode. Thanks for listening. Bye. See ya. Lock your shit. Bye.